0: welcome in to another edition of ask the experts thanks so much for joining us back with us on the show this saturday it's canada's top real estate agent faisal Susie waller with remax twin city faisal how are you doing i'm fine thank you david how are you uh, i'm doing very well thanks uh glad to have you on the show again and uh every time you're on we learn something a little new about what's going on in the housing market and uh just wondering when we're ever going to hit a plateau, or or if we will. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. We want to mention, of course, if you'd like to get more information from Faisal, go online to his website at homeshack.com, or you can call him at 519-624-5555. As usual, we'll start with a, a market update. What are we seeing out there in terms of activity and pricing?
1: Well, we've come out of a very strong first half of the year so in the winter we did not expect the jump to be quite as drastic but we've had over 25 percent increase just in the winter season alone and we're close to 32 percent increase in uh, prices and of course volume has been up as well the majority of buyers uh, concentrated on purchasing a home from March right through to June, so we had massive amounts of volume, lots of people coming into town and really looking at opportunities because everything that was previously uh, happening was continuing where we had lack of inventory um, with COVID, that whole de-urbanization movement, work at home, people looking for more space. So we've had a lot of people move, and the lion's share of the activity, I believe, has happened uh, in the first six months of this year. Um, Not to say that it won't continue, but there has been a lot of volume. We're going to see, uh, you mentioned plateau earlier, Uh, we're going to see a little bit of a a leveling off effect, not necessarily uh, meaning that the market is taking a downturn, that's pretty typical for July and August for the volumes to go down. People typically are on vacation this time of year. So we're going to see a little bit of that. And then coming into the fall, we'll see some um, different type of activity uh, and we'll get into what to expect uh, coming into the fall and winter season as well and how to prepare. But uh, generally speaking, prices have been up. Bidding wars are not as common Uh, And if they are, we're not getting the number of offers that we were getting uh, earlier on in the year. And how's inventory doing? Where are we with that? We've seen an increase in inventory and we've also seen an increase in the number of days a home remains on the market. Uh, And that was to be expected because we're not seeing as many people coming into town. Remember as September approaches and parents start start thinking about getting their children into school, they're not uh, uh, considering a move after September. So we're really running out of time. We've got really 45 days left in this calendar year if, if a family has children and are relocating from out of town. So certainly something to consider if you're going off considering selling to go onto the market fairly soon to capture any of that audience that's coming in from the GTA.
0: So uh, what kind of homes are people looking for these days, Faisal? What's being sought after and what sort of features do people want?
1: There's a real urgency in finding multi-generational type of homes. Affordable living is not available, therefore, parents are looking to move in with children or children are looking at buying homes with their parents. Um, so, you know, combined family living, we've talked about this whole tiny home movement where people have has asked for uh, the ability to add on to a home or add a tiny home into the backyard. We talked about this on a previous show that the region of uh, Waterloo, especially Kitchener, has approved it now and Cambridge is looking at that. We're up to, I think it was 800 square feet could be built into the backyard. So multi-generational living is a a big requirement. Um, People are looking for homes that have amenity space, that have recreational space. That have swimming pools, uh, green belt, walkout basements, um, the ability to have a home office, and although you know many people have started working from home, there might be a hybrid situation where you know it's three days at home, two days at the office. So accommodations have to be made in homes, and a lot of the people that are moving out of town uh, from out of town are looking for that office space within their home.
0: So. For home sellers, is this a good time to actually list their home?
1: We are at the tail end of being a good time. And that's not to say, again, that the pricing will drop, activity will drop, and let's not confuse the two. So uh, coming into September, October, November, right through to the end of January, I expect that the pricing will be leveled off. So if one wants to sell their home, I would suggest between now and the end of August is a prime time to be on the market.
0: And uh, let's take a look at the opposite side then. Is it a good time to buy? It's never a good time to buy when it's a good time to sell. So
1: if, you know, if someone's looking to purchase a home and not be in a competitive situation, not get into bidding wars, then they should probably look at purchasing in the fall. After mid-September, October, November, right through to January, they're not going to be competing with GTA buyers that are trying to get their kids registered for school in September. So there's going to be opportunity for all of those who are missing out and getting getting caught up in the bidding war situation and not winning. Um, Your turn is coming. So definitely reach out to your agents and make sure that you're ready to trigger and have all the qualifying done ahead of that.
0: I've read recently that there have been some changes to uh, CMHC, but uh, didn't really go into detail. Can you uh, enlighten us as to what's happening?
1: CMHC has a tendency of, you know, having rules initiated, and then they sort of paddle backwards and say, okay, that wasn't a good idea. And that's happened uh, recently where they made it tougher for people to qualify. So CMHC, Canada Mortgage Housing Corporation, insurers... The bank on high ratio mortgages. So where one is putting less than twenty percent down, and even in some cases with twenty percent down, uh, the bank may ask Canada Mortgage Mortgage Housing to insure that debt. Now their requirement was that a Beacon score, so a credit score, had to be six eighty. They've clawed that back now to six hundred. Um, you know their their qualifying ratios, GDS and TDS, gross debt service and total debt service were much higher. Now they've clawed that back, I believe to 35 and 42 from um, 39 and 45, I believe it was. So I'm not quite sure on the exact percentages but they've clawed it back a bit. So it's making it a little bit easier for purchasers to qualify. Whereas someone who walked in with with a credit score of 625 or 630 was declined immediately. Now they're going to get approved because the credit score requirement is 600 as opposed to 680.
0: And in your opinion, is you say it's a little easier, but is that a good thing? Should Should folks with a lower credit score be getting approved?
1: There's many instances where the credit score is reflective of, you know, it could have been something as simple as a Uh, An oversight on a telephone bill or a a utility bill or uh, a credit card that they thought they had closed off and there was a small balance and something like that. If you've ever dealt with credit bureaus, uh, it can take months and months of going back and forth, trying to get that removed off of your credit. So and then there's legitimate situations where, you know, a matrimonial situation may have occurred and and because of that situation, uh, one's credit went bad. Um, They shouldn't be punished forever for that. So as they're repairing their credit, their scores are increasing. And that 600 to 680 could be the difference between buying now or waiting in another year where the market may be even higher. So there is value in that. So yes, I believe easing up on that is going to give buyers the opportunity to get into the market, as opposed to renting.
0: Welcome back to the show. I'm Dave Callender. Joining me on Ask the Experts today, Faisal Susiwala is back with us. a Freemax Twin City, Canada's top real estate agent. Find out more online at homeshack.com or call 519-624-5555. Uh, in our first segment of the show, we talked briefly about the fact that uh, bidding wars are not as common as they were. But uh, for folks who'd like to avoid one altogether... When is the best time to purchase a home to avoid the bidding war, Faisal?
1: Well, coming into the fall market, I believe that the amount of bids that will be offered on homes will decline. So naturally, uh, we talked earlier that the best time to sell is not the best time to buy. So if you want to buy, you buy off-season off-season will be when GTA buyers are not trying to get their children into school, they're not uh, sort of tripping over each other and offering enormous values for homes, and it's not to say that those values are not well deserved. Um, But when you have eight to 10 people offering on a property, uh, naturally, the energy and the momentum of that negotiation is going to cause people to perhaps pay more than what the home is normally worth. Now, when you come into September, October, and right through until January, you will not have as many people bidding on those homes. So it's natural to think that if yours if there's only two or three people bidding on something as opposed to 10 or 12 people the number of offers ultimately will uh dictate what the value of that property will sell for and even if there's 10 offers on the table if eight of those offers are not really great offers it may drive the two that really want the property to pay uh exuberant amount of money for that property so wait until the fall market where we see some leveling off and that's In any given year, before March and after September, we always see a little bit of a slowdown in the market. That opens the opportunity for buyers to get into the market who would have
0: maybe lost on bidding wars in the past. So what can one do over the summer, fall, and winter to prepare for next spring? There's so many things that, um, you know, we
1: overlook with maintenance of a home so it might be caulking grouting driveways interlock weeding paving uh cracks and cement uh window sills uh, roof so all of that exterior stuff Um, This is a great time to get all of that work done, especially now that material prices are starting to come down. You can repair your decks and your fences. Um, Those are really important things because you want to prepare now for the spring market. You can't wake up in March one day and say, hey, I'm going to put my house on the market. Let's start doing all this work because the season for selling has uh, advanced now and it's sooner than what it used to be. So if you can get your home prepared in the winter, Um, Then internally, uh, you know, any repairs that need to be done to flooring, carpets, laminate, uh, painting, any decorating, um, any updates. Now, I don't recommend that people go overboard on renovations because your taste may be different than someone else's. So what you want to do is create a situation where you're giving someone a very nice, neutral canvas to work with. Um, And if you've got lots of wallpaper and lots of stuff going on in the house, neutralize it, clean it all up so that it gives someone the ability to envision their taste in your home. And that will give you a huge return coming into the spring because we do expect that the spring market is going to be thriving again, just like it did this
0: year. Other than doing those kind of repairs, if someone did want to do some renovations, where where do you get your best bang for your buck when you're doing renovations? Well,
1: kitchens and bathrooms are always the number one and two uh, renovation to do. But as more and more people are spending time at home, uh, outdoor living spaces, a little oasis in the backyard, I know swimming pools, are very difficult to uh, get contracted right now. And, um, but if you can put a swimming pool in your backyard, you're getting two times the return of the cost of that pool, which is very rare because in the past, I know over my career, um, I've had to get quotes on filling in swimming pools for people because cottage country used to be inexpensive. People would spend their summers away at their cottages. They didn't want to maintain a pool. But now what we're finding is cottage country is more than your home is. Therefore, people want their cottage in their backyard. So if you can create that oasis, that beautiful outdoor living space, that's going to bring a huge return to you as well when you are try to sell a property.
0: Let's take a, a look, a closer look at what, what the market driving forces are right now. What are the, the, all the various things you, you have to consider?
1: Well, right now, the driving force to the market is interest rates because it's affordable to get in. But there's a direct relationship between the the interest rates and the price. So as interest rates came down, pricing started increasing because your dollar would go further. Add to that the whole COVID situation where people want to get out of high density, intense areas and move into locations where they don't have common hallways, elevators, um, communal living um, and wanted independent living. So a place like Cambridge, Christian Waterloo, Guelph and surrounding areas offer a little bit more land, a little bit more space, a lot of amenities, still within driving distance so that's the driving force then we look at the lack of inventory in the marketplace that has been the catalyst for prices going up because until we see the region the cities the townships allowing more development higher density developments within the city boundaries people are going to continue overpaying in some cases for homes just to get the opportunity to buy a home. Um, So there's, you know, a lot of different things that are happening. Uh, The work at home movement has created a a huge market because uh, you can take the same amount of money that you got for a 1200 square foot townhouse in Mississauga, and buy a 2400 square foot home in this region, and still be further ahead, um, and still have lots of lots of amenities available to you
0: within the region. Speaking of working from home, uh, what if, if you look at your crystal ball and tell me, I know a lot of places are starting to talk about bringing people back to the office. Do you think that working from home is going to continue to be a, a major thing for Canadians?
1: I believe that there will be a hybrid, uh, package that will be available to employees where they're working at home a few days a week, but they need to come into the office. What I have found that's missing in this whole working at home environment is collaboration. There isn't that energy that you can feed off of your colleagues and and sit down at the round table and have a discussion and and you know throw around ideas you're 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 kind of limited to your room and your you know the the zoom or skype or whatever media that you're using um and it's just not the same level of energy and the ideas i believe now there are corporations that are saying well no this is working very well i think there's certain segments of of of, um of business that thrive in this situation where perhaps IT, programming, coding, uh, accounting, bookkeeping, a lot of that can be done independently. But when you're when you when you need to have that ability to sort of throw ideas around and think and collaborate and and, and, and you know brainstorm, that just doesn't happen over a computer screen as easily as it would if you were at uh, an office environment. So I I do believe that there will be a hybrid program uh, where people will go back to work a few days, which again, if they time it properly, they don't have to get up at six in the morning and battle the 401 to get to Mississauga or Toronto. They can do it, you know, off peak hours. Um, And I think it's going to eventually, like basically give better quality of life to people who would have had to drive every day into the town or into downtown Toronto to get to work. So um, these suburbs are
0: just going to become more and more popular as that happens. Welcome back. This is Ask the Experts. My guest is Faisal Suzuwala, a REMAX Twin City Canada's top real estate agent, I can say without hyperbole. You can find out more online at homeshack.com or call him at 519 624 55 55. Uh, We've, uh, over the past couple of times you've been on the show, we've been talking about uh, how how important our community has become to people moving in from other places like Toronto and Mississauga. We've got a lot of uh, new uh, residents in KW, so with that increase in population, just uh, how are we dealing with it when it comes to infrastructure? Are we being able to handle it? Uh, I mean, how is it affecting traffic patterns in KW, that sort of thing?
1: Well, it's really good to see the diversity in the three cities, Cambridge, Krishna, Waterloo, and of course in Guelph and whatnot as well. But it's nice to see that happening within the cities and every neighborhood has a, a nice mix of different people that have come in. There's places of worship that are popping up in in, in all the subdivisions. So it's really nice to see that community feel. With increase in population, comes infrastructure issues. Uh, Is it, you know, are the roads able to handle things? Are the schools able to handle things? And I know that, you know, especially in our region, we've seen a lot of roundabouts. And in fact, I took a poll a couple of days ago on Instagram, uh, just asking if these roundabouts are a good idea. And I do believe that there is a place for roundabouts. Uh, However, The roundabouts that they're proposing in school districts is where my concern is. With the increase of population, lots of kids walking to school, to and from school, um, popping in these roundabouts in those... So Franklin Boulevard in Cambridge is is a hot spot right now where there's a consideration to put a roundabout in. And there's a high school there, and there's four other schools in the neighborhood. Uh, It's a high traffic area. And I don't know about you, David, but when I drive through a roundabout, there's a lot of stuff going on you see cars coming from every direction so you're dodging that and just as you're accelerating out of a turn you see a crosswalk and somebody may be walking across or cycling across and all of a sudden the car in front of you slams their brakes uh which could have a chain reaction and i can't tell you the number of times that i've seen near hits uh happen and of course we know there was unfortunate situation near st mary's uh high school but these are some of the concerns that we're having are we moving too quickly into facilitating um you know traffic infrastructure and are we doing the right type of infrastructure in certain areas roundabouts are great I think in flowing areas where there isn't a lot of public traffic as far as walking and cycling, but when it comes to high density areas uh, near schools, I think that one should think twice, it was interesting I had about a 1000 people surveyed on my instagram poll and 75% of the. Uh, people said that it's a really bad idea to have a roundabout in front of a school. And I tend to agree with that as well. So that's my two cents worth on uh, infrastructure and traffic and whatnot. I'm not an expert, but just an observation from what I see day to day.
0: Well, I have to agree with you. Every time I've seen a sudden stop or a horn honk, 90% chance I'm driving through a roundabout. And as you said, those crosswalks, they, they seem to surprise drivers that there might actually someone be crossing. So is is there do you have any idea of what we could do instead of roundabouts is there a solution
1: you know what i think keep the roundabouts we're fine let's do the roundabouts move the crosswalks move them a hundred meters north or south or east or west of that roundabout so that it's not smack in the middle like those roundabouts have become targets where people are just walking and they better say a prayer before they get into the traffic zone because you don't know who's Missing them. There's a lot of people that are not paying attention. Their, their attention is diverted. And even if their attention is not diverted, they're paying attention to other cars that are coming at them, behind them, in front of them and to them. So why put another element, especially an endangered public, by putting a crosswalk right in the middle of a, of, of, of a, of a roundabout? I just don't see how that and, and who thought of this as being a good idea. Crosswalks are great. Put them 100 meters, 150 meters away from the roundabout, have a flashing light or something and have a designated spot where pedestrians and cyclists can cross over without coming into a
0: traffic circle of a roundabout. Uh, I am forced to agree with you on that one. Okay. On to our next topic, and this is one that's been talked about for quite some time with uh, just how active the market has been. There are always people saying, well, we're in a bubble. This is a bubble, it's, it's gonna burst. So what, what is your reaction to that, Faisal? Yes, no, and, and why or why not?
1: So as you know, I've been selling real estate in Cambridge and I live in Cambridge uh, for the past 33 years, I've been licensed here. Every year that I've been in the business, I have watched our neighbors to the east, Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, even Oakville Burlington and the GTA, prices increasing. Eight percent, ten percent. Homeowners just thriving at how well they're doing on their real estate investments. Investors just bragging about how the condo they bought five years ago has already doubled, or you know, three times the value of what they paid for it. Where our region was one percent, two percent, you know, three percent, and we never had that big jump ever. What has happened in the last three years? or maybe since 2017, is we've had almost a 40% increase in the average price of a home. That's not a bubble. It would be in most areas, but it's not in this area. We just caught up. We had never enjoyed those 8 to 10% increases year over year. So when we have a 40% increase over three years, um, the pessimists say, oh my God, it's a bubble, it's going to crash, the market is just out of control. We were so affordable and good on people who bought while the market was down and held on and invested and and did all the right things and grew their real estate portfolios because they're going to really benefit from this. Not only are they benefiting from the values going up, they're benefiting from the rental market going up. And again, I feel bad for those who are having to pay premiums to rent and premiums to purchase. However, in comparison to Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington those folks were already paying those premiums because their values were already high. There has to be a balance. If prices are high, rental properties will also be at a high price point. So are we in a bubble? Absolutely not. Are we gonna see a little bit of a decline? Are we gonna see a little bit of a flattening? Two to 3%, I do expect will decline between now and the end, well, not so much now, but by the end of August to the end of the year, but we will be right back up next spring. So for all those buyers who are thinking the market's going to crash, I would suggest get into the market in the next four to five months when there is a little bit of softening, where there's less competition, where you're not forced into going into bidding wars, and enjoy the benefits of that coming into next spring and next summer, because I do expect the prices to go
0: up next year. Well, based on your answer to that question, I'm pretty sure I know what you're gonna say about the next one then. Is investing in real estate still a good idea?
1: It's always, always, always a good idea to invest in real estate. Now, invest wisely, do your research, don't overpay. So as an investor, I never recommend you get caught up in a bidding war. So if you wanna invest in real estate, wait until November, wait until December, wait until January, where the market doesn't have this abundance of buyers that are coming in and they're motivated to buy because they gotta get their kids into school or they're relocating for work. When the market is quiet and someone is selling their property, there may be an opportunity for you to enter into that without the competition. And as inventory increases, that's the time to start investing i'm not an investor right now in this market no i will be when the market starts softening from an activity perspective not from a price perspective, because I do not believe that the prices are inflated. I do not believe that it's too high. I do not believe that the market is going to crash and that we're in a bubble. So prices are fine. I just don't want to overpay for something or compete to buy something as an investor. If I was buying a home for my family today to live in, I have no hesitation in going on buying a home today and getting involved in a bidding war because there's a necessity there. And I know that over time, I'm still going to be ahead because our values are still extremely reasonable in comparison to many other communities.
0: You've mentioned uh, a couple of reasons as to why things slow down during the winter months, but are there any other reasons why things quiet down? Is it just that we, uh, we don't wanna move when it's cold out?
1: Yeah, that's, that's essentially it. It's, it. School is a driving factor, especially in this region. And remember, we are still a commuting population. Most of the people that live in the Tri-Cities were driving somewhere, at least one spouse was driving somewhere to get to work. It has changed with this work at home environment, but people are still thinking that, okay, this may be short lived. And more and more companies are saying, okay, we want you guys back at our offices at least two or three days a week. So as that happens, um, we're going to see commuting is the driving force as well so people want to move to get their kids into school now coming into next year and the year after when things may go back to commuting a lot more we're going to see that increase in activity again of people maybe moving closer to the gta market again because they don't want to drive so far but right now i'm going to say that we're going to see that relocation has declined right now and that's creating an opportunity in the fall market because corporate relocation was typically done in September, October, November, and which goes against what I said earlier, where people who are relocating want to move before September so they can get their kids registered. But for whatever reasons, executives seem to be away at their cottages all summer, and then they come back in the fall and relocate their key people. But with the work at home environment that we've had, Corporations have not been moving key individuals overseas um, across the nation or, or internationally. So um, that will happen. So September, October, November were typically very strong months for me for corporate relocation, which hasn't been happening in the last two years for obvious reasons.
0: Let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, the rental market in KW. What What is the outlook on that?
1: We're seeing... Um, a shortage of rental properties, just like we're seeing a shortage of inventory in the marketplace. And that shortage is driving the market up. So we're getting bidding wars on rental properties. I could be asking $2,300 for a townhouse and I'm being offered twenty four dollars or $2,500 just because someone wants to look better on paper So that they're chosen to rent that property. So that's again an indication that the market can handle and it's great from an investor perspective, not so great from the buyer's perspective or from the renter's perspective, but it is certainly uh, the driving force. Everything comes back down to lack of inventory and everything comes back down to these regions should reconsider allowing higher density development. And I know that's not a popular thought with a lot of people who don't want it in their backyard and they don't want those condo buildings and they don't want high density stack townhomes in their backyards. But that's the only solution to affordable living is allow more homes to be built. Spread it out, higher higher, um, density living on smaller lots will create more supply, which will create more affordability. It's pretty simple.
0: Yeah, and do you think that will actually happen?
1: It's happening to a certain extent now. Uh, We're seeing that the municipalities uh, are allowing, um, in their different zones, uh, less uh, lot frontage than they were. So a typical home may have been, it had to have 40-foot lot frontage. Now they may allow 30-foot or 28-foot, a semi-detached had to be on a 20 foot. They may allow that on a 50, 15 foot. So as they allow less front foot per dwelling, that will increase supply and that will hopefully turn into more affordable living.
0: Thanks for joining us on Ask the Experts. My guest is Faisal Susiwala, Canada's top real estate agent with REMAX Twin City. Online at homeshack.com or call him at 519 624 Fifty-five, fifty-five. Uh, in our last segment, we were talking about the idea that you, you say that it's always a good time to invest in real estate, but what should an investor really uh, be looking at? What do they need to purchase an investment property? Uh, what should they be looking for? And, and for that matter, what kind of a return should they expect? Essentially, an investor
1: should have 20% down of the purchase price. So for example, if they're spending $500,000 on a property, they should have $100,000 to put down. That $100,000 can be taken from equity in their personal home. It can be extracted from equity on other real estate that they own. So they can take lines of credit against other rental properties. And remember, any loans that one is taking, uh, they can write the interest on those loans off. So there's a benefit to extracting that equity instead of just sitting in your home. So use your home, your other real estate assets, or anything else that you can leverage to invest into real estate. But the 20% is the key. And my formula is very simple, 20% down, and you should try to have it paid off in 20 years. So that gives you enough of a runway where uh, you can Uh, refinance that property if you wish to buy other properties and brings you to a point where if you choose to retire at 60 or 65 years old, you've had at least 20 years to build up that portfolio. Most people get caught up in cash flow. They look at a property and say, well, you know, I'm losing $150 a month. Uh, It's not cash flow positive. I'm not going to buy that. What I've found where that where properties are cash flow positive, they're typically triplexes, fourplexes, combined units, um, non conforming types of dwellings. That you're dealing with a lot of high property management issues. Um, I tend to stay away from that. I like single family homes, not necessarily detached, but townhomes, condos. Uh, anything there is one family per unit. It's liquidity as well. So if you want to ever sell that property, you don't need another investor. You could get a first-time home buyer, someone downsizing, someone just looking to buy another investment property. But when you put 20% down on one of these properties and you you look at a picture of 20 years, you're not just looking at cash flow, you're looking at appreciation. And I've mentioned in, in, in our past segment here that we've had 40, 45% increase in real estate values in the last three or four years. If you had spent $500,000 on a townhouse in 2017, it's worth $750,000 today. So would I be concerned about $150 or $200 a month negative cash flow when I can earn $250,000 over three or four years? Now, this is an anomaly. It doesn't happen all the time. But if you look at it, if you're Paying, and remember, someone is paying down the debt of your mortgage. So any money that you have borrowed for that property, that investment, is being serviced by the rental income that you're getting. So as long as you're breaking even or you're out of pocket, let's say even a few thousand dollars a year, and I take that example of that $500,000 townhouse that was purchased in 2017 that we can sell today for $750,000, even if they lost $3,000 a year in the last, for the past five years, that's only a $15,000 loss, but a $250,000 gain. So it makes sense to look at the property you're buying. Don't get caught up in the cash flow. Don't buy something just because it's giving you lots and lots of rent per month, because chances are it's, it's communal living. You've got people living in the basement, on the side unit, upstairs, downstairs, there's noise, there's, water issues, there, and these are older buildings, they're non-conforming. So I tend to stay away from that, especially if you're a a novice investor, you don't want to buy something that's going to give you a bad experience and you're going to say, I'll never do that again. I hear those stories all the time. Um, It's very important that when you do invest in real estate, that you really monitor your property, you maintain your property, and you do proper checks and balances and credit checks on people before you put them in, because you don't want to have trouble getting
0: them out again all very good advice. As we finish out the show today, uh, as we usually do, we're going to talk about the fact that Faisal sat down and decided to write a book and uh, it's been selling very well. It's called The Real Deal. You can get it on Amazon. There's even an audio book. Why did you decide to become an author?
1: I've thought about it for many years, and you know, I have an interesting journey. I started in this business at a very young age, uh, visible minority, eighteen years old, high school kid, uh, no car. Um, thought I'd become a real estate agent, so that's not typically what a what a kid thinks about doing in high school, but that's what I thought of doing. And then it's been interesting over the years. People have often asked me to share my story so I thought you know what I'm going to put it in a book hopefully it'll inspire some young people and it also um has a lot of important uh Uh, lessons that I've learned Uh, I talk a lot about my failures in there I talk about my successes in there but I talk about strategies for not only uh, people within my industry it could be applied to any industry Um, and I've had some really great mentors in my life people that I've been able to learn from and I put those experiences in the book Uh, and in addition to that I've got a few chapters on there on just talking about my investment journey and what I look for when I'm investing in real estate, um, the things that I, uh, the do's and don'ts, um, and what really works and then creating not just a portfolio, but creating some wealth and how to do that and then how to do something that you can live off of in your retirement, but also leave something for your family when you're long gone. So there's a lot of interesting things. And I have just uh, put it all together. It's a tell-all. So there's no secrets in there. It's all there. Um, and I wanted to just basically share my, uh, share my journey with uh, my amazing clients and friends.
0: It certainly is a fascinating journey, but for for say someone who is a first-time investor in real estate, if they pick up your book, what are the key messages they're going to get from it?
1: It's going to be about how to enter the market, what to look for, what not to do, um, where to really focus your investment strategies, and and how to hold on to those properties. So you're not trading one for another. You're you're piling on. You're assembling. You're adding on. It's like Basically a game of monopoly where you want to own everything right beside each other and keep growing that portfolio. So it's, it's a lot about that. Um, and it's, uh, it's also some really good strategies on how to buy and how to leverage those purchases to buy more. So th- that's basically what I'm talking about in the investment aspect of that book.
0: Well, we expect that your uh, your real estate journey is going to continue for a number of years, Faisal. So, any chance that we'll get a part two, or you have another book in you? I, I I don't
1: know if I have any more secrets to tell. I think I've I've said it all. But you never know if there's if there's more that I've learned throughout this last year and a half or two. I, I'll be sure to share that content as well.
0: The book is called The Real Deal, and you can find it at Amazon.ca. There's also an audiobook version of it if you'd like to listen while you're out and about. And, uh, Faisal, we want to thank you once again for being on the show with us. Always a pleasure, David. Thank you for having me on. You still have a chance to do some more learning at home, folks. If you'd like to uh, ask Faisal a question, you, of course, pick up the phone and call 519-624-5555. Or go and learn more online at his website, always easy to remember because it's at homeshack.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you're going to join us again next Saturday for more of Ask the Experts right here on 570 News.